You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tweet Jacobson with another streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So, first, I have to pause. I, I was checking my phone before I started the show, and this keeps happening. I get these random, forget the, the telemarketers. I get these random text messages. Hello. I don't know who you are. I am not saying hello to you. I do not have time to talk to you. But it takes me all this time. I have to click. I have to go to block caller. And then I have to erase you off my text message. I think that's what got me off. There was a time that I had a Facebook page. I got rid of that too. Because all these people, hello. I do not want to talk to you. If you have something to help me with, you want something, you need knowledge, you need to know something, you have a question, no problem. No hello. No hello. Okay, even though I started saying hello, everyone, to uh, start the show, but I only mean hello to be friendly. I don't mean hello that you should get my cell number and start saying hello, because I will block you. In any case, so we've been talking the last couple weeks. I wanted to spend more time today. We're getting closer and closer to the Shavuot holiday to Shavuos, and we've been talking about the 48 ways to acquire Torah. We said a lot of them are to acquire really any wisdom, but 28 ways, I'm sorry, 48 ways, by the way, those who are counting, we're up to day 40. So Shavuos is nine, well, really 10 days away. We got to count another nine days, and then the next day will be Shavuos, so we are getting closer. So... It could be it was last week, could be it was two weeks ago. One of the, th- uh, no, I'm sorry, we didn't get to it yet, and I'm not sure if I'm getting getting to it today. But it's one of the important facets of the 48 ways, and that is you have to have a teacher. It is you can't become a Torah scholar by sitting with a bunch of books in front of you, even if you're studying all day, but. You do not have that teacher to guide you how to think, what to think, what to ask, what's a good question. Without that special teacher, you could become an encyclopedia, but you really won't know what to do with all that knowledge. So, I saw an amazing story. And I said, I can't start without going through this story. Let's go through this amazing story because it does tie into this concept of having a teacher and the power a teacher can have on a person. And in this case, maybe not such an intelligent person, not a studious person, but the teacher has amazing power. Now, with things happening in the world, again, a crazy world that we live in, unfortunately, and I've been uh, we happen to have in school, we have a program called Safety Kids. I've talked about it in the past. We teach children how to take care of their body. We call it safety issues and to to pay attention to what's going on and see what's going on. And then you have uh, terrible stories happening in schools across the country. But let's talk the power of a teacher. So here we go. A different teacher pulls into a gas station. The story takes place in Israel. 
And the, I guess the owner of the gas station comes and he fills up his car. And the gas attendant is staring at the teacher. And he says to the teacher, do you recognize me? And he's looking and looking and, you know, probably 30 years ago. And he says, I'll give you a hint. We were in school together in B'nai Brak in Panovich. And the teacher starts, yeah, you know, I, I think I recognize you and they're talking. So he says, I must tell you an amazing story from when we were in school. Okay. So in those days, now he's the head of Panovich, but in those days he was um, just the head of the, what we'll call the elementary school. So his name was Michal Yehuda Lefkowitz. So um, he was teaching the class. And, you know, in every class, there's some children that are super focused. They know everything going on. There are some children that listen with half an ear. The gas attendant said, I was one of those kids who listened with quarter of an ear. That's three quarters of my brain was very, very busy just thinking about stuff. One quarter of my brain tried to pay attention enough that just in case... Um, the teacher calls on me, I, I won't be completely clueless. So sure enough, he calls on me, and he says, so you understand what's going on? And of course, like any smart student will say, of course I understand what's going on. And the smarter teacher said, so could you repeat back to me the argument? Um, uh, well, uh, and I started to mumble. I have children in my own class who do that. And you don't really know the answer, but you figure if you mumble and say a couple good words, the teacher can't really hear you, and the teacher will assume you got it right, and I'll say, okay, very good, and move on. But the gas attendant said, I'm mumbling, and, and Michal Yehuda says, I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't hear you. Could, you. could you say it again? And I continue with my mumbling and fumbling and, and whatever, and... Again, Michal Yehuda says, I'm just so sorry. I'm not, I'm not hearing you clear. Could you please say it again? And then all of a sudden, one of my classmates right next to me calls out. He said, the argument's like this. This one says this, and this one says this. He gives a whole long explanation. And the teacher who knew that I didn't know, and I knew that he knew that I didn't know, smiles at me. And he says, if that's what you were trying to say, if you would have said it more clear and loud, then I would have known what you wanted instead of your friend having to tell me um, what you were saying. End of story. But again, he smiled at me. He made me feel good. Um, he did not um, tear me to shreds that I was daydreaming. Fast forward. I go to the army. Yeah, many children in Israel will, when they finish high school, will, uh, will go to the army. Some will get, uh, they, they get a deferment, they can continue in school, or they can do other things. Um, but this gas tent said, I went to the army. Now, we've talked in the past. And this, by the way, is probably true in any army. You know, an army wants that you become theirs. Right? You have no outside 
motivations. You just want to serve your country. Nothing else is important to you. Only following rules and regulations, and they're very good at breaking people down. That's it. Seems it's a necessary thing for an army to have. I can't say nowadays, but certainly that's what it used to be. And the Israeli army is no better or worse than that. As a matter of fact, you know, any type of religion, they're much happier if you're not religious, if you don't care about anything else, not family, not religion, not God, just country. That's what they want. You can stick up for yourself and be religious if you so choose, but the army's certainly um, not going to help you, and they're certainly happier if they can get you to go away from any type of religion. That's just facts on the ground. Okay. So he says, you know, I struggled in the army. It wasn't so easy. You want to get up for prayers? Go right ahead. But we're not making your day easier because you want to pray. Just get up earlier, go pray, as long as it doesn't get in the way of all the other stuff any other soldier has to do. And one day I was tired, and I wasn't sure I wanted to get up. But I saw the face of Remichel Yehuda, and I said, you know, he was so nice. He smiled at me. He was so good. I'm going to get up. And over the two and a half years or whatever it is of service, there were multiple times where I was tested and I came through. I got out of the army. I stayed religious. I got married. I have a beautiful family. My children went to school. They're all much better students than I ever was. And I'm very proud of who, who what I am and who my family became. And then the gas attendant says to the driver of the car, to this teacher, he says, you know who the guy was who called out to say or pretend to say what what the answer was? And the teacher in the car says, yeah, it was me. I remember the story. So that is an amazing, amazing story of the of power of a teacher. In other words, obviously we want everybody studying, we want everybody focusing, we want everybody to understand the material, but part of being a teacher means I'm building, I'm building people, I'm building lives, I'm creating lives. Teachers are very, very powerful. We're in a classroom. We can beat somebody down, we can lift somebody up. What they do remember from my class, what they don't remember from my class, we talked about this uh, Last week, talking about Lagba Omer. All that is all fine and dandy. You know, I teach you stuff. We learn stuff. I want you to know things. It's in your brain. All you pass your tests. All very beautiful. But at the end of the day, right, the, the power of a teacher to encourage or discourage a student is, is amazing. And we need to know that. And we need to respect and thank and appreciate those Teachers that do that to our children. If I have a, a son in a class and I see that the teacher, whether I think the teachers may be overly strict, or maybe I think in certain ways the teacher, uh, you know, uh, takes things too far or asks for things that uh, are not um, what I would want to do to my son or daughter, but. I see this teacher has the ability to motivate my child to want to grow, to want to study, to want to be good, to want to be better. You got to appreciate that. Does it mean you have to buy a large gift? No. But it certainly means that you have to have the ability to go to the teacher, write a note, write a letter, 
send a, a, a cake at the end of the year. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But we are getting towards, right, we're, we're already late in May, Memorial Day. This is the time to take that opportunity and say to that teacher who's for sure underpaid right, and for sure overworked, but just to say, you know, I really appreciate everything you did for my child. My child is a new person because of you. It doesn't cost you anything. And and it's it's something that should be done. So just as a, an aside to my teachers, had this great story over here, talking about 48 ways to acquire Torah knowledge. Um, and now it's the end of the school year. So thank those teachers that made a difference. Thank those principals. You know, for some people... <laughs> got to thank the secretary because your kid's always the one going to the office and always needs stuff and you'd be surprised with these secretaries they're pretty smart a lot of them and they 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 get the children uh the, the children coming through the office all the time are not the highly motivated students are not the students that do exactly what they're supposed to do right those are the so the secretaries are the ones that are bringing the child to the principal or 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 giving the child a late note, or uh, allowing the child to go home or call home because they forgot a million things, or the child's always sick and they're the ones um, helping the child. So uh, secretary's also maybe not such a bad uh, person to thank. Okay. With that out of the way, which is important, and I like to talk about it once in a while, um, let's see if we can get through a couple more of the 48 ways in the couple minutes we have left. So for example... Um, the next one is joy. You could say being happy, but joy. God hangs out with happy people. By the way, it's the same with prophecy. The famous Elijah the prophet needed to needed God to talk to him, needed a prophecy. And he asked the king, because the king asked him something, he said, bring me your musicians, let them pay, play some music, let them get me in a good mood. And when I'm in a joyous mood, God will talk to me. Because God hangs out with happy people. God does not hang out with sad people. And one of the more famous proofs is by Jacob. Because when Joseph was basically kidnapped by his brothers and sold down to Egypt, when the brothers told Jacob or pretended that Joseph had been killed, Joseph was so, uh, sorry, Jacob was so upset that he lost his prophecy for the next 22 years. So even if God wanted to tell Jacob that Joseph is in Egypt and don't worry about it, and he's fine, he's becoming important, and, and we got plans, God can't talk to Jacob because Jacob is unhappy. So joy is something that you need for God to hang out with you. And when it comes to Torah study, there is no question that we need God's help to retain the information and how to know and, and to know how to use that information that is filed away in our brain. Okay, but it's more than that, really. It happens to be that when a person is cheerful, when a person is in a good mood, the Torah, and probably anything, by the way, but the Torah that he studies, he retains it better. When a group is studying and they're happy, so all of a sudden that Torah is not this insurmountable mountain. The questions we have, the answers we're trying to come up with, we could do it. We're, we're all in this together. We're studying together. We're trying to figure something out. We bounce ideas off each other. So that works 
when you're in a good mood, when I'm angry at you, when you're angry at me, whatever you say, I'm not listening. Whatever I say, you're not listening, right? We, how, how exactly are we studying together when we got problems with each other? But if we're all in a good mood and we're all friendly, so together we can figure something out. No different than any regular classroom where children are asking questions there. If you don't like that child, God forbid, right? If a teacher has a problem with a child, anything intelligent the child will say, the teacher won't even listen to. And the child's not listening because he feels, and sometimes rightly so, the teacher has it in for him. So there's got to be joy. We got to be in a good mood. We got to be happy. We gotta, we gotta smile, right? And that will allow us to study Torah much better at a higher level. And by the way, one more about being cheerful or joyous. I'm not saying that you know, the that everything is great and the, we never have issues that we have to take care of. But if we go into the study hall, we go into the classroom, and we have the ability to leave our painful thoughts behind us, my brain can concentrate. We all have times where things are happening in life and we're unhappy about the situation and then you can't concentrate. I, I've seen it with my own children. If, uh, if something happens that is troubling, they can't study. The brain's not working. It happens. When it happens, you got to get to the root of the problem Find out why the person is unhappy. Try to get the get them to work it through, and then they can go back and study. We it's not unheard of. I have my own ways of doing it. Sometimes when things are troubling me or bothering me, there's a different kind of Torah study I like to do, and I'll pull out that book, random page, and just begin. And then I my mind can focus. Then my mind removes everything else that was bothering me. Then I can sit for half an hour. And then it happened once that um, some issues with a dinner, it was going to be a big problem. It was a problem, and I was not equipped to deal with it because I'm an employee. I needed a board member to help me. And I've been calling board members, wasn't getting any, any headway, so I, um, I just took out this book, happened to be Chovas Alvavos, happened to be a duty of the heart, and I study it for a good 25 minutes. My brain is now clear. Go outside, ring, phone call, taken care of. Don't worry about it. Life is great. Life is great. Okay. That's joy. Next on the list is purity. Torah is not just a subject. It is not like math or English or science or social studies or any other kind of subject. Torah is God talking to me. It's on a whole nother plane. It works totally different. When my mind is pure, when my heart is pure, when my actions are pure, right? You, you, you need to deserve it, right? As I said, told you before, you need God to hang out with you when you study Torah. Since I need God to hang out with me when I study Torah, then the more pure I am, the more pure my mind is, the more garbage that I get out of my brain, the greater ability I have to take Torah in. So it happens to be a fascinating concept that um, if you look throughout the generations, there are time periods where it's almost like they draw a line. And when they draw that line, 
it says you can't argue. So you have the time of the Mishnah. At the time of the Mishnah, you had the people explaining the Mishnah. That's for the most part called the Gemara. For the most part, in the Gemara, you are not allowed to argue on the time of the Mishnah because they were from a different generation. More, they were from a different time period, but they were more pure. They, their thought process, their their beings were more pure, so they understood Torah better. And then after the Gemara, you get uh, what's called the Gonim, you get the Rishonim again. They will not argue on anything in the Talmud. Because again, the line's been drawn. And then again, for the most part, when you get to the end of the, what's called the Rishonim, like Rashi and Nachmanides and Maimonides, um, after their time period, somewhere around the late 1400s, we get to a new time period, which technically we're still in, but some may say that maybe we're, we're in our own time period now and we can look at what they said, but maybe not always argue. So that concept is the earlier generations were more pure. Their Torah study was on a higher level since their Torah study was on a higher level. So they could say things and think things and understand things that are beyond us, which again is a humbling thought. That we're saying those earlier generations, we cannot reach their level of knowledge, more than knowledge, of understanding, of deep understanding of what God wanted. So therefore, certain things we're going to take because they said it, we don't understand it. It's too bad. We got to move on with life. Okay. Then we have we talked about before having a teacher. It's called attending Torah scholars. What does it mean attending Torah scholars? So I remember a story many many years ago that I went to the head of the school I was in called Rashiva, and I asked him a question, and he says, "You want to understand this? You need to serve me." please go get me a cup of coffee. Now, it happened to be that he had a funny way of making coffee. He basically would take like three teaspoons of the instant coffee and he'd put in, you know, an inch of water. It was like mud. I'm pretty sure there was no milk and I'm positive there was no sugar. But when he wanted a cup of coffee, that's what you had to bring him. So I made the cup of coffee, I brought it to him, and then he gave me the answer. But he was trying to teach me, right? In other words... The Talmud says that you must attend, you must take care of Torah scholars because, first of all, simplest level, if I do something for you, so, first of all, I'm in a better mood. You ask me to do something, my mind is opening to listening to you. The fact that I did something for you automatically opens up my mind to focus better. That's number one. But really, part of this concept of attending Torah scholars means that it's not good enough just to listen to the lecture. I got I to gotta, I gotta see this Torah scholar, I got to see this rabbi in action. I got to see how he lives, how everything he teaches is part of his life. That you find in the Talmud a lot of times. They, and great Torah scholars always have people hanging around them. And they love to tell over stories of when I was with this rabbi, I saw the rabbi do ABC, and therefore I know the answer to your question. So this is called attending Torah scholars. It's, again, Torah, part of what we're trying to bring out through these 48 ways. It's not just encyclopedic knowledge. It's not just Google to know what all the answers are. It is a way of life. And the only way you can understand this way of life 
is by hanging out with them. I don't have time for it now. They told me I got like a minute left. But I told my class a story today. And the, the lesson in the story was that the rabbi didn't just look at the person asking the question and answering the question. He looked at the whole situation and acted on the situation. Maybe another week we'll tell the story. Today for sure I don't have time. Okay. So uh, so again, so this is attending Torah scholars, right? Uh, I saw somebody say, is it any different than having a science teacher that there's a lab? There's classroom, and then there's real life. You can't, Torah knowledge is not just knowledge. It has to become real life. And then it continues, whether it's hanging out with peers, whether it's discussion with students, right? We become sharp when our students ask us and we're not afraid to answer but now the music's playing so hope you enjoyed it short and sweet we'll have to get to some more of those 48 ways next week thank you the wonderful sponsor listen you know i can't do it without you thank you the wonderful production team we have david cisco and andy in the back i hope i've left some food for thought until next time i am rabbi c jacobson you've been listening to let's talk torah and on streamcast Till next time don't forget to think about it